standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops, or rather this particular episode, because we are once again giving you a double bill or a double serving of Sunday Chops because we love you very much. And we're quite sure you love us because you are only human. And, well, you're listening, aren't you, anyway? In the other episode of Sunday Chops, Hannah and Mick catch up with Kat Wilson and Lisa McKenzie, co-founders of the Vaginismus Network, that is hard to say, to talk to them about the not very often talked about or indeed recognised or indeed understood condition of vaginismus. It is very interesting and I suggest you give it a listen. But in this particular episode, I am chatting to journalist Lucy Pasha Robinson. This is the final episode in our series on the menopause. A few years back, Lucy was put into a medically induced menopause as treatment for severe endometriosis. So we had a bit of a chat about what it's like to go through the menopause, albeit temporarily, at the age of 25, and about endometriosis and what can be done if you are one of the one in ten women suffering from this chronic illness. It's absolutely fascinating. Lucy's a top bird, so give it a listen, give her a follow on Twitter, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, Mickey here to tell you how you can find out more about us. And that is if you want to follow us on Twitter. Standard Issue is at Standard Issue UK. I'm at Mixter Noonan. Hannah is at That Dunleavy and Jen is at Inspire Jen. And you can find out more about our views, opinions and general nonsense if you follow us over there. Look forward to having a natter. I'm joined on the phone by journalist Lucy Pasha Robinson, who is going to talk to us a little bit about an experience that she had a while ago of being put in a medically induced menopause as treatment for endometriosis. Lucy, you wrote an article about this for BuzzFeed a little while ago. So, yeah, it, uh, kind of, I guess my story started in 2014. I just like found myself having like really severe abdominal pain and kept going to the doctors. They kept saying, oh, it's probably just, I don't know, you've got food poisoning or something. And it got so bad that I ended up in A&E. And that kind of started a chain of events, which led to um, a diagnosis of endometriosis, which is a disease where cells similar to those found in the lining of the womb kind of magically appear elsewhere, <laughs> elsewhere in the body and uh, kind of create cysts and dicky patches that kind of had basically glued all my organs together so it was no no wonder really that I was um kind of struggling a little bit with it a part of the treatment for that I mean it's it's a chronic illness there isn't a cure at the moment it's chronically under-researched funding for research is it just kind of doesn't even really exist but I mean that's another issue but one of the treatments is surgery so I had I had first surgery in 2015 it had come back so I had another surgery in 2016 and as part of a kind of combined treatment um, because my case was deemed particularly serious and quite aggressive in it in kind of its growth they decided to induce a medical menopause. And that's because endometriosis can be worsened by oestrogen, is that right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it feeds off oestrogen and kind of grows, you know, the, the little cells that kind of can be scattered all over the place, kind of each month with your monthly cycle kind of are growing and multiplying. So the theory is that if you cut off the oestrogen, then the disease kind of will lie dormant and in some cases shrink. So 
their hopes for me were that I'd had this surgery, which would have removed most of it. But then if there were any kind of small microscopic bits left, the menopause would have kind of cleared that up as well. So when you say medically induced menopause, what did that entail? So it was a series of injections. So every month I'd have to go in and see my gynecologist who would inject take this rather large needle and kind of stab it in my abdomen which with I think it was called Zolodex and basically that works to just shut down the ovaries so the ovaries just kind of lay dormant you have an injection every month for however long kind of your doctor recommends you stay in that menopausal state so I had it for six months and I was probably menopausal for about eight yeah it was pretty rough going to be honest um I mean the injections were one thing that it was a big needle and I'd end up with like a really bruised stomach um I'd be trying to fit in kind of all of these monthly medical appointments with with working with studying at the same time I, I was retraining at the time and was kind of running to the doctors getting kind of shooting up in my abdomen and then like heading off to a night shift at the mirror or whatever so it was really full-on and I mean what one thing I didn't anticipate were the psychological effects of going through that kind of menopausal state. So first of all I think it's probably worth pointing out at this stage for listeners that you are you're quite young and you were 25 at the time? Yeah exactly I was 25 yeah. That's a bit of a head fuck in itself, really, isn't it? Could you tell us a little bit about the physical impacts it had on you, which are like fairly well documented, but also the as you were starting to sort of go into the psychological impacts? Uh, it's important to make clear as well that, that this was reversible for me, so I'm not still menopausal now. So in some ways, I shouldn't be the poster girl for the menopause. Like I know a lot of other women have to, have to cope with these symptoms for much longer than I did. So, yeah, I suffered basically with all of those kind of really stereotypical symptoms that are kind of mocked and people, you know, that you would associate with the, with the menopause or with a, you know, a woman of a certain age. Mm. Um, so, like, hot flushes. But, like, when people say, like, hot flushes, I don't think you can appreciate how bad that is until it happens. It's basically like this raging inferno that suddenly appears out of nowhere and you're sweating and your face is red and you feel like you're suffocating and you have to take all your clothes off. So it's like really, really impactful, let's say. Mm. There were joint aches, like my bones were really achy, my hair all fell out, my skin got really, really dry the insomnia was awful. I, I didn't sleep for the whole time that I was taking it. Just every single night, waking up kind of five, six, seven times a night. And with the hot flushes as well, I was having night sweats. I was like like drenched waking up in the middle of the night, like having to change my pyjamas. Yeah, really disturbing symptoms that I kind of, I definitely hadn't appreciated how difficult that period of life is until I, I had to do it. Um, no, because it's kind think- of mocked, isn't it? It's kind of like totally. the butt of a of a joke, basically. Yeah, totally. And I think it's it's kind of there's been a long history of not taking women's reproductive symptoms or pain, for example, seriously. And I think this is just another mm. example of that. I think that the psychological impact on me was probably unique because I was young. One of the things I found really challenging was the fact I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. All of my friends, I felt, my vision of them was that they were these young, sprightly things, like going out on a Friday, like still kind of full of the like zest of youth. And I felt really acutely, I just felt really aware of like the aging process, even though I was 
Mm. Even though I was 25, I mean, it wasn't necessarily logical, but it kind of made me question my womanhood and my vitality, all kinds of things. I think there wasn't really a support network for me because, yeah, as I said, I couldn't talk about it with my with friends my age because they just they didn't understand. Could you talk about it with, say, your mum or other people who were a bit older and had maybe gone through it? Yeah, definitely. So I, I ended up speaking about it with my mum, my auntie, my mum's friends, who all obviously had like words of wisdom because my mum was saying, you know, it's not something that we necessarily talk about in the workplace. We don't talk about it necessarily with our husbands, but like as, as soon as we're together for a drink or whatever, that's like, you know, we're all complaining about our night sweats and our insomnia. Yes. So there was definitely a community where like those experiences are really are shared regularly but I think for me it was that wasn't quite my experience either I think there was also the overlap of I was still recovering from the surgery as well and and hoping that this was going to be curative as well for my endometriosis I think there were there were multiple layers to the experience for me yeah of course when you wrote this article for BuzzFeed it sort of went viral didn't it It got picked up by like the BBC and loads of other places what kind of feedback did you get did you get a bunch of young women coming forward saying oh my god I've been through early menopause did you get a sense that there are a lot of people out there going through this who just don't feel supported yeah absolutely I I got loads and loads of feedback my my inbox was literally overflowing with messages from other people in the same situation that kind of really identified with the story I think that's the other thing those kind of first person pieces are really powerful in kind of uniting a specific community or uh, yeah engaging with a specific a specific community that that is underrepresented kind of on elsewhere in the media so yeah I had an absolute outpouring of support and I tried to reply to all the messages because I just felt you know if I was reading that it would have been a lifeline for me and that was part of the reason that I wrote it because that was kind of my go-to support really googling what googling my symptoms trying to find other people that had been through the same thing trying to find some answers especially with um, a chronic illness you just want the reassurance that uh, someone else has been through this but actually it hasn't ruined their life and it's been okay so I was I was really clinging on to that and I think I, I was quite shocked at how little kind of information there was above and beyond I've got endometriosis and this is what it's like apart from in the kind of really specialist forums but those seem to be underground they don't have much public kind of profile so yeah it was important to me to be able to interact with other people that have been through the same thing and to also raise awareness of how far reaching the consequences of this disease are and that it's not you know just painful period. Just to let you know, if you missed us at King's Place in London, you can catch us there on October the 4th when we have just announced we will be joined by Queen of Daytime TV, Alison Hammond, and the extremely kick-ass Stella Creasy MP. Also, we've just announced the first name for the lineup of our International Men's Day Eve gig, which is on November the 18th, and we will be joined by Craig Parkinson, a.k.a. he of Dot in Line of Duty, and also a host of the excellent Two Shot podcast. Both of those gigs are going to be absolutely cracking so if you would like to join us then please do get yourself a ticket you can find out information about all of our shows on our website at www.standardissuepodcast.com i mean it's interesting sort of yeah going back to the endometriosis a little bit it's very interesting to me 
I mean, we talk about this on the podcast all the time about, and I think menopause is just one of those areas where there's such a lack of information and investigation and treatment and for women because, you know, fuck it, we're only women, so who gives a shit, right? So there are a lot of female-specific health issues that do not get, as you say, the time or the funding or the research or whatever that they actually need. Endometriosis is very common. I have a number of good friends who suffer from endometriosis. Had you heard about it before you were diagnosed? So I was aware of it only because my auntie also has endometriosis. So I was aware that there was a kind of family history. But I didn't really understand it, if I'm being honest. I just thought, oh, yeah. I know my auntie suffered with health issues and I'd heard the name of it, but I didn't realise how common it was. I didn't realise how difficult it would be really as an illness. I kind of thought, well, if it's so common, they must have treatment options. There must be, there must be options available for me. I, don't ha- I won't have to live with symptoms forever. But actually, the further I got into this journey, and it's still a journey that's very much ongoing for me, the more I realised we don't know anything about this and it's an absolute scandal you know, one in 10 women are affected. The number of people that are having to leave the workforce for this, sacrifice careers, sacrifice relationships, live in daily pain. And all they have, the only options they have are either really invasive surgeries Mm. or hormone treatments like the menopause, which also come with really serious side effects, uh, quality of life affecting side effects. But I mean, uh, of course, it's important to note that my endometriosis is severe. There are a lot of other women that are impacted by endometriosis on a much, perhaps they don't suffer with such bad symptoms or they are able to manage it. But uh, in my specific case, I felt really angry about the lack of options available to me. And the fact that by the time I was diagnosed as well, I mean, that, that was the, uh, another big issue for me, that the diagnosis took so long. I, was, I waited kind of 10 years. I know it is a hard illness to diagnose because there's, there's a lot going on in that area of the body, basically. There's all the sort of, um, mm-hmm. you know, digestive stuff, reproductive stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So it's quite hard to... I, I have a friend who was basically told she also has very severe endometriosis like yourself she has had a few operations over a fairly short period of time and she was told for a long time that she had wind so (laughs) like oh you're just you're just quite gassy I mean she is but but aside from that uh no maybe she's that too you know yeah maybe so (laughs) with that in mind like do you have any kind of idea of the extent of the damage that was done in in that period of time Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my disease would never have been as serious or as progressive as it was by the time I was operated on if I'd been diagnosed earlier, if I'd been put on a path of kind of preventative treatment or slowing treatment, you know. By the time I was diagnosed, it was everywhere. It was all throughout my pelvis, on all of my, basically all of my organs. One of my ovaries was I had a cyst in it the size of a grapefruit. Yeah, and then they they weren't able to clear it all in the first surgery. It came back very quickly. I had to have the second surgery. And because it was by that stage so deep infiltrating, it kind of gone into the muscle walls and everything. I also got nerve damage in the second surgery, which I still affects me today and uh, was a very serious complication in terms of my quality of life from, from that second surgery. And I know that all of those things could have been avoided if 
in my teenage years, they said, your symptoms sound very much like you might have endometriosis. Your aunt has endometriosis. Let's discuss, you know, hormonal preventative treatments available to you to kind of stem this and, and make sure it doesn't get out of control. Perhaps let's see you every couple of years or see you every year to um, to monitor the situation, you know, keep an eye on it. But instead, I was repeatedly rebuffed and repeatedly told, well, you know, we can't see anything wrong. You know, it's probably food poisoning or you probably just have bad periods. Oh, you're, if you're having painful sex, just have a glass of wine beforehand and try and relax. Shut up. That's what they told you? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely oh, my yeah. God. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and this my story is absolutely not uncommon. That There is, I mean, that there are also some absolutely incredible medical professionals in the UK that are treating endometriosis really, really amazingly. However, there is a lot of ignorance among the medical profession about what normal periods should look like or what normal pain should be for a woman. It's not normal to have pain when you have sex, for example. That should be investigated. It's not normal to bleed irregularly throughout the month. That should absolutely be investigated. So often women with endometriosis are diagnosed with IBS because they're, they're having terrible bowel symptoms. If they're having terrible bowel symptoms and there's another, they're having difficult periods, for example, then doctors need to be encouraged to join the dots. So I think there's a lot to go in terms of education. And I think since I had the first surgery, definitely things have moved on. There were new NICE guidelines released in 2017, which gave GPs a pathway basically for diagnosis and referral um, in women suspected to have the condition. So, you know, that was a really, really positive sign. And uh, it didn't come without a fight, but I am now also being treated under a specialist centre at UCL, which is absolutely amazing. And it's made up of multidisciplinary teams, so gynaecology, colorectal, physiotherapy, dietitians, pain management. And I have access to all of those specialists because it is uh, a disease that requires a multidisciplinary approach to not only to treat it, but also to kind of guarantee a patient's quality of life moving forward. So going back to the, the menopause, the treatment, did you feel ultimately that that was worth doing? Did it have, you know, a, a positive impact on, on the symptoms? of? I mean, in my case, I really struggled with it. I struggled massively with the symptoms and I didn't feel that it gave me you know the, the kind of reward I would have liked mm. um it wasn't curative to me but I know for others that works really well so endometriosis is totally a, a case-by-case kind of disease it needs to be treated at an individual level so for me it was a shame because I felt that it left me with some quite long-term side effects like it sounds shallow but all of my hair fell out <laughs> I mean, that is a total exaggeration. It didn't all fall out, but considerable thinning at the front and at the side. And that hasn't grown back, for example. And and that kind of really affected my self-image. And I mean, yeah, I think my self-image really took a battering when, when I went through that treatment. felt extremely isolated. I felt the whole thing was really stigmatized. I felt really embarrassed. My anxiety definitely got worse during that, that period. Yeah, I, it, it, it didn't work for me. It didn't work for me. But I do appreciate that that is one of the options for medically managing endometriosis and it was worth a go. One thing just to reiterate is how important it is that people share these experiences and speak up about what is normal and what isn't normal and keep kind of campaigning to to have women's pain as being recognised as important. 
it's not something that anyone should have to put up with and girls absolutely need to know that in schools as well and be taught that in schools and I hope that at some point we'll see a shift in attitudes and and hopefully unlock more funding to understand more about this disease and, and prevent uh, eventually hopefully cure it as well because it, it is maddening to me that a disease that affects so many people in such an important and severe way there's no there's no treatment options really available so if you are in a situation as you were where you are suffering from endometriosis and maybe you are looking at having to undergo this treatment did you find anywhere online that could offer support for that so endometriosis uk which is the national charity for endometriosis has an absolute wealth of information and resources available for sufferers they also hold support groups which are based in hospitals all over the country so you can find a local support group and actually meet other people in person that are going through similar things also keep an eye out for facebook events Uh, there's a really really good facebook a group called Endo Revisited, which is run by volunteers, but who also suffer from endometriosis. And that's got, a, again, a wealth of resources and documents available, especially for those who are looking to understand more about their diagnosis or pushing to get the right referral or pushing for a diagnosis. I think one other thing that I would really recommend anyone who suspects that they might have endometriosis to do is to read up on the NICE guidelines about what you can expect from your GP, for example, and what they have to do um, when they're offering you new care just to make sure that you're getting the best treatment. Also, Lucy is a, a very talented journalist herself. So where can we follow you if we want to, if, if our listeners want to get in touch with you and maybe ask you questions or just find out what wonderful journalism you are up to, Lucy? Where can we find you on Twitter? Oh, well, thank you, Jen. Um, <laughs> I'm at, at Lucy Pasha on Twitter and my DMs are open. So please do get in touch with me. Awesome. Lucy, thank you so much. Hello, Hannah here. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help, especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars. Standard issue for all women.